welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday evening. I know I am. As you can see, we have the guest in the studio tonight. I'm really excited about that. Unfortunately, these, uh, these sponsor logos are going to go right over his head, but let's talk about some sponsors first. Of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, where you can get this awesome Disobey Your Local Tyrant shirt with Andrew Cuomo on it. Uh, use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Or join the Patreon, subscribe star, or the <coughs> membership of the channel so that you guys can get into uh, the Discord server where he drops all of his new designs uh, two weeks before it goes to general population. And you get them for 30% discount. Big, huge, deep discounts. And executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today, see what they can do for your home, your business, or your personal life. They're doing a job that the government sucks at, typically, maybe not our guest tonight, uh, for a much cheaper cost and a much more efficient, uh, uh, much more efficiently, I think that's what I meant to say. Uh, anyways, guys, as you can see, we have an awesome guest in the house tonight. Uh, I, I, I should probably hide the logo so it's like not over you the whole time. Look at that. There we go. Uh, he is an Iowa State representative. Probably one of the most interesting guys I've ever followed. Uh, definitely works on some great issues. He is Mr. Jeff Shipley. How you doing today, sir? Hey, Josh. Great to be with you. It's just so impressive what you built here and an honor to be on the show and with your audience tonight. Awesome, awesome, man. Well, hey, you know, you are very liberty-based. You work in the Republican Party, mm -hmm. but you are very liberty-based. Uh, you push for liberty-based uh, policy all the time. Why don't you tell us about your journey and how you – oh, and this is Pickles. This Pickles is, made it back to the couch. Oh, oh, Good. He's gone. He's gone. Uh, this is, that's, cameo. He'll this, come back. He'll he's come doing back. a sniffing this, thing. This is uh, uh, Shipley's dog, uh, Pickles. My his, best friend. His best friend. Best friend. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your, your story, how you got to where you're at, man? Sure. So it's it's been a long journey, obviously. I guess it started probably um, circa 2005. I first opened up a John Stossel book and got very interested in some of the perspectives there on how government sucks. And um, then I went off to college and I uh, became acquainted with a gentleman named Alex Jones and listened to his radio show. And that was very interesting. Um, got involved in student government politics at a local level, served as the, my, the University of Iowa student government liaison to the city council. And that's when I first got experience in terms of um, speaking on controversial issues or being a public health nemesis, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, actually, that was when I ran a first campaign and um, lost, was so humiliated and gave me a lot of perspective on what it, you know, what a terrible, losing, pointless campaign looks like, which I think gives me a lot of perspective on uh, some of the libertarian candidates we've seen lately. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> anyway, so that was 2009. So we failed, ran again in 2014 and lost, um, was involved in the Ron Paul movement, went to the state uh, conventions, attended the national convention in Tampa as a guest of the delegation, was on the state central committee for the Republican Party of Iowa, and then um, got elected to the Iowa House of Representatives in 2018, uh, assumed my seat in 2019. Now I'm serving my third year as an Iowa legislator, a lawmaker responsible to the you know 3.1 million Iowans. Um, that live in this beautiful state, and thankfully I've been able to use this position to explore a lot, a very broad, diverse range of, of issues, of political issues, um, including the elimination of all of the Controlled Substances Act, the entire drug code, um, uh, eliminating taxes wholesale, eliminating entire agencies of government, 
And yeah, a lot of things on that in terms of, so I'm very happy with, um, I guess my political career thus far. I feel very blessed to have the opportunity to serve the great people of Iowa. And there's a lot of super really important issues that I do view as life or death or as determining the destiny of our nation. So we need every single person to step up and be involved in charting the course of our society. Sure. Absolutely, man. I, I totally agree with you. I think you've done great work here. Definitely. Hey, thanks, buddy. I, I, yeah, I've been, I've been following you. I know you have this this uh, this beef with the Libertarian Party, kind of. What's that about? I don't know if it's beef. I, I would just put it like this. is like a lot of people criticize me, and I have no idea who they are. And I have no idea who they are because, you know, they've never come to the Capitol. They've never reached out on an issue. They've never commented, supported. I mean, so, I mean... I don't think there's beef because in my perspective, the Libertarian Party is non-existent. Um, like I would really have loved when we were having our first ever legislative hearing on decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms. I thought that would have been great if, you know, members of the Libertarian Party could have been in there or write letters of support or showed up and testified in support of the issue. I don't know. Maybe that's my fault for not building bridges, but I don't even know like who to build bridges with. Like sure. I wouldn't know. So I guess... I, if I've been critical, it's just because the only experience I've had is I've noticed Iowa libertarians. And again, I, I'm, when I say the Libertarian Party of Iowa, there's only like three people that I know of. So again, it's like, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but there is issues concerning um, major party status and ballot access. And, you know, if you want to be a if you want to be considered a major political party, then I think you need to follow the same laws as the major political parties. And again, it's kind of a tertiary issue. When I go door knocking to my constituents when I'm winning elections, very, very, very few people, if any, rank their are swinging their vote based on my position on third party ballot access. So, like I said, please reach out to me on any issues that you're concerned about. But if you're going to reach out on an issue, um, you know, don't be offended if I let if you're the only person who cares about that and it's not a priority of mine because you're the only one who's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but so I don't think there's any beef. I want to be friends with everyone, but I think there is a big gradient in terms of uh, political success. There's actually a gift I left in my car. I wanted to give you, cause I wanted to congratulate you on all the things you accomplished lately. You. And it's called the Morton Blackwell's rules of the public policy process. And it's basically just 45 kind of maxims or phrases or those kind of cliches, but they're meaningful. And one of them is like political technology determines success think of technology as tactics. I mean, there are ways to be involved in the political system. There are ways that it has been me as a political scientist have been scientifically proven to get more of an effect versus less of an effect. And there are a lot of political activists that beat their head against the wall for a year, get nowhere and then quit. And, sure. and they blame everyone else, but they need to blame themselves because they were incompetent because they never took the time to learn. They never took the time to talk to people who've been involved. They never did their homework. They just had the arrogance and the pride to think that not only were their ideas right, but anyway, I'm rambling now, but there's a lot of people, myself included, because I've made these mistakes, but um, I think there's a humility needed now more than ever that, um, and again, people of all political parties, but certainly if you're trying to challenge the system, um, you know, we need to be just cognizant and have a lot of self-awareness in terms of who we are and where we're coming from. So you're saying I shouldn't run against Cindy Axney then? As, under what party? <laughs> I was thinking about running as a libertarian because she only, not to beat anybody, but because she <laughs> yeah. won by two points. So what are you hoping to accomplish? At I least guess. to cover the spread. 
At of least. what? And then what? You can claim that you cost someone the election, or we'll give it to the Republicans at least. You right? think it would? Yeah, maybe. She only won by two points. Yeah, I see. I I, I haven't studied the district enough. I guess it depends on who's the Republican on the ballot. Um, yeah, that would be a big. Well, for me, it's and I say this like I have a very Iowa centric view, and one of the truths is all politics is local. Sure. And so I have a hard time even like viewing the federal government as like legitimate. Like there's, I don't know. I'm just trying to tune them out. And I see the way that they treat sitting members of U.S. Congress, making them wear masks, making them go through metal detectors. It's humiliating. It's degrading. Right. I mean, yeah, it's a nice pay, and you get a nice office, and get a higher staff. But I, like, and I guess this this is the political science question: is what would be more impactful? Where would you have a larger influence on public policy that affects you and your family? Would it be as a sitting member of U.S. Congress? No. In, or would it be as a local city councilman yep. or a state representative? So I think that's the big question we all have to ask ourselves because clearly we have limited time and resources. Where is the biggest bang for our bucks? Where can we put our money, which is limited, um, and, and make sure we're getting the biggest return on investment from our, our limited uh, political resources? So it, those are very, very important questions. And even one of the most important things I have to decide in my position is, is which fights am I going to take? Um, like I said, we, I cover a dozen different issues that to me are all considered life or death. How do I pick the two that are most important that I can actually try to move the needle a little bit as one voice out of 100, trying to, again, steer the destiny, steer the imagination, the vision, the politics of an entire state of 3.1 million people? How do I, as one person, leverage myself to influence that much larger body of people? That's what we have to figure out. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm a big, you know, a big proponent of running local because, you know, those are the people who can find you if your grass gets too long or you park a Winnebago in front of your house or, you know what I mean? Well, or you're, they're spending your local property tax dollars in a lot of instances. Um, we've seen how powerful school boards are in making decisions um, in terms of government services that people actually rely on and could hypothetically be considered essential. Um, many, many millions of people rely on the public school system. Now, thankfully, I believe your family's in a position where you're not dependent on that because you had some foresight and some wisdom about you. But there are a lot of people right now that are trapped in um, really terrible school board settings or public school systems. Who's going to solve that problem? I, see, that's the thing. I mean, view public service as what is the need of society that I'm responding to? What is the problem I'm solving and then and then let that guide your um, but certainly for for the for the lives of Iowans, I know that their lives were much greater impacted by the president of the school board than by their U.S. congressperson. Sure. So um, anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and you've you've done a lot of work in, in the state. And somebody actually brought this up. Uh, uh, Lo-fi Republican. Thank you so much for your super chat. He said just mushroom hearings should be in textbooks. <laughs> and, and so that is something that you're a big proponent of. Cool. De decriminalizing psilocybin. Well, and that's probably the best speech I ever gave to uh, was the genuine health and healing speech at the end of. Um... So basically what happened was is I get back to the Capitol in June of 2020. And obviously I freak out because I'm witnessing my country capitulate to communism. And uh, so I go off like a loose cannon. And then it was like for 10 straight days, it was just one controversy after another. And then to put a bow on it all, I end with an extremely uplifting speech on decriminalizing psilocybin. <laughs> and, and I had more Republican votes on that amendment than it was nine to eight. So it was, I had eight Republicans and eight Democrats with me. I'm a Republican, so nine Republicans. But it was like the most beautiful 
thing where like the week before I was like the most controversial person, you know, calling all these people out for crimes against humanity, um, mocking people, for, <laughs> mocking the Democrats for wearing masks and stuff. And then afterwards I was able to get a, because it was like the far right Christian conservative. Skylar Wheeler was on that, the most conservative member, you know, gay bashing Republican. And then it was Beth Wessel Crischel, the progressive Democrat that basically gave Iowa gay marriage. They were both with me on the psilocybin. I had the inner inner city black legislators, uh, Akeo and um, Ross Smith. And then I had, um, you know, your typical kind of, Phil Thompson. So it was like a wonderful eclectic mix of everyone across the political spectrum. 17 votes against 76. So 1776 was the vote. 17 to 76. And so that was probably, I would say, my most joyful or most uh, meaningful political achievement was just showing that, wow, like to all observers, was like, what issue would get Skylar Wheeler and Beth Wessel Crischel and Ted Gassman to vote all together? Oh, Shipley's mushroom thing. How the heck did that happen? <laughs> and it's still like, as far as like, again, for textbook, like the political textbook should study. How did this outcome come to be? So yes, I was very pleased with that. And I'll, I'll even put it a little further. Um, back in the day, I was listening to Joe Rogan and um, Joey Diaz on, on the podcast. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what can I do? What could I do as a person that could somehow be considered cool enough to hang out with these awesome comedians and it was like, oh, I could, I could rep the psilocybin issue. I could be the guy that introduces that in the state house. And then, and it really is. If you think of like the 3.1 million Iowans, who was, who possibly would have been in a better position to introduce the psilocybin? I was like the only, like, yeah, that's the thing. What is your unique purpose? What can you bring to the world that no one else can? And for someone like Top Lobster, it's pretty easy. No one can make art like that. No, so wrong. every yeah. time he makes an art piece, he's enriching the world because he's tapping into himself from that unique, divinely inspired that, hey, God put you on this earth for this specific reason because there's a task that only you can do. And so for me, that was the mushroom bill. And that's what propelled me to when, you know, when I'm in the middle of a campaign and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Why am I doing this? Nobody cares. I want to quit is because, you know, I remembered how awesome mushrooms are and I wanted to share that health and that healing with as many people as possible. So anyway, I'm getting a little emotional there, but that shows you if you care about something, that's what drives, because that's the thing, it's not so much what you know, it's or is it how much do you care? What are you willing to do to act on that belief? And if I didn't have that, you know, carrot to dangle in front of myself, because again, I won my election by very, very slim margin. And on those days, the last couple of weeks of the campaign where every door knocked, like, well, not everyone, but it's like you, it's a, it's a grind for people who've gone through the campaign process. And even in the political textbooks, they'll talk about this, that, um, like most, most campaign staffers would rather have like the, their candidate lose and the election be over than to work another week on the campaign for a chance of winning. Like that's just how tired everyone is. Candidates, campaign staff, voters, everyone is just so exhausted by that first week of November. And so you really need that internal motivation, that reason of why are you here? And um, so for me, that was mushrooms. Well, now it's the vaccine issue, school choice. But um, we all need that. We all need to know what is our unique purpose. How can we bring that into the world? And then how do we, you know, make sure? Because that's what I see. This like war. I don't really care about politics so much. It's just like human willpower. What are you willing to do? And 
like that's the only language that speaks to me is like who's take because everyone talks right i mean your podcast is great but let's be honest i mean you have a really kind of niche audience you're fulfilling a specific marketplace but there's a lot of libertarian content online you know we have a lot of people talking we have really good ideas that we've beat to death what are we going to do about it what is the initiative we can take to make a more meaningful impact in the world we live in sure sure so that's my high horse i'm sorry oh no it's great it's a great issue and and, uh and and uh now you talk a little bit about school choice and and the vaccine issue now. Oh, yeah. Now I know that every legislative season there's some democrat that tries to attack school choice in Iowa, correct? Um uh, yeah, so right now the, the I think the best thing as far as our school laws we have really great homeschooling laws um that came about I think in 2013 um where we have independent private instruction where you can homeschool your kid and the government you don't have to do anything. You don't have to give the school district a piece of paper or whatever. And yeah, Democrats hate that and they would much they think homeschooling is dangerous. They literally think that parents being on their own with their children without state supervision is a threat to society or detrimental to the child or that public health, whatever the crazy things they say. Right. And cause that's the thing it's, it's anyway, but yeah, they, they, they would love to take that away. And uh, I'm sure that would be very high on their agenda. Um, if they ever were to, you know, be back in power. Sure. So, so now recently, uh, uh, Kim Reynolds came out, the, the, uh, the, the governor of Iowa came out and said that, uh, she would use legislative action or executive force to make sure that we don't have to worry about COVID passports here. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and how does how does that how do you think that works around the you know the legislators? Well, which part of that? I mean, do you, so it's more Republican state legislators than the Democrats here. So on the COVID vaccine issue. Yeah, or? yeah. How do you think they fall on that here? Well, so we passed the bill. For the for the vaccine passports. Yeah. So the, oh, okay. yeah. So we did pass a prohibition against vaccine passports. The controversy was is that it excluded healthcare facilities. And then my ended up, the position I ended up on is that, because this is the thing, you look at the code book and just how, in, and this is the thing, lawmakers are generally incompetent. And writing the law is actually really, really difficult because, again, this is where we go to natural law. What should the law say? Obviously, we know that the, the more corrupt the state, the more it legislates. We've known that since the Roman Republic. Um, we know that, you know, the government that governs best governs least or whatever that saying is. So you get these thick code books where these legislators keep adding on these ridiculous things. And instead of just having like a bill of rights that covers everything, we have these big, big, long code books. So the whole vaccine passport issue, it was great because they recognized, well, one, it was great because people were rejecting this thing. And it's clear that this kind of immunity passport or this, um, this paradigm of everyone being a lurking biological contagion, so we all have to live in fear and be afraid of one another, it's clear to me that that's a part of this globalist New World Order agenda that will usher in a totalitarian system, you know, the likes of which we've never seen. And, of course, God forbid, we haven't even started discussing what, you know, the actual physiological impact of these vaccines may or may not be. But... Yeah, the, so the concept of vaccine passport was dead on arrival. It was amazing that so many people just, as soon as they started pushing this in the media, people were like, no, that's, no, we're not going along with it. And so the governor, uh, DeSantis was the first, clearly. So DeSantis was the big leader. And then the other uh, red state style governors kind of followed in quickly behind. And so anyway, so we have a bill, The um, and I'm dealing with this at home because I have a private college in my um, my district that has gone very far left on COVID policy, and it's extraordinarily sad. Um, thankfully, a lot of people agree with me on the issue, and 
thankfully, because of their actions, it's driven more people to recognize how important it is to have elected leaders like me. So I hate to say it that way, but that's a nature of politics. Politics is very reactive, and most people just are reacting to whatever the latest thing is that upsets them. So yes, I'm the political beneficiary of the Maharishi University taking very draconian COVID measures. And this is the thing. So the law says they cannot require someone show proof of immunity or proof of vaccination. Um, and so what my university is doing is, oh, they're, they're not requiring it, but they're asking. So they're going as far as they can without actually violating the law. The punishment of violating the law is they forfeit any sort of state funding or state contract. Sorry, he's just... This is a wonderful dog. Yeah, You're just the greatest just put him puppy. in his place. He's You're good. a good he's, puppy. He's been excited to be with you. He, <laughs> no, he loves the spirit of freedom, and he's been following your work. He's just really oh, excited. Awesome. Thanks, people. Um, so anyway, so but this is the thing, is we passed this law, and it's stupid, and the definitions are poor. So I was on the House floor arguing... This is the biggest political fight I've ever done, is I had to argue against my whole entire caucus for two and a half hours, and it was extremely difficult, and everyone's telling you how stupid you are, and, oh, you're hurting your own cause... But I know I'm right because I've studied the Supreme Court cases. And I've studied the issue and I talked to the I talked to the activists who who are telling me to do this. So, yeah, it was a very big political confrontation. Um, our video of that House debate got censored off YouTube. Um, oh, wow. Really? For a day. Then they kind of apologized. And but this is the thing. When you look at some of the other remarks that some of the other legislators said, like there are people who are spreading dangerous health information that probably needs to be corrected and fact-checked. Um, so I was just giving YouTube the benefit of the doubt because, yeah, if, if some people are believing what some of these other politicians are saying, it could be really detrimental to the public health. Sure. But um, so, yeah, that was a big thing. So thankfully, but it is, it's like it's still a very murky legal area. And now the big area is um, employees' rights. So that was another big failure of a vaccine passport bill is it did not impact the employer-employee relationship which is where the most stress is on these issues. And we just had a really great friend is relocating to Arizona, partially because of um, policies of the Archer Midland, Archer Daniels Midland, where they're still requiring people to test. Um, and, and, and they want people who haven't vaccinated to wear a mask. And, and, it's, and it's very, there's a lot of undefined legal questions. So on the legal question of, can someone require you to take a vaccine in order to keep or get a job? The straight answer is yes. But if someone says, oh, well, I can't take that because I have a medical or religious reason not to, then the answer becomes it depends. Right. And so you have all these very undefined legal areas that need to be very fiercely litigated. And it makes it very difficult because there was even um, the federal EEC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, they put out guidance on this. And this is the thing, they're not a lawmaking body, they're not a policy body, but they offer guidance on what the law might say. And then there was a judge in this court in Texas at this Methodist case where they were requiring the COVID jab for nurses. He ruled against the EEOC guidance. So that's the thing, the federal government issues this big thing and then it can go to a judge and the judge can just ignore it. Right. So a lot of people don't understand exactly how complicated the legal and judicial system is and how a lot of lawmaking is driven from um, lawsuits in the courts. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I work so I work in in data centers, the critical facilities, and uh, you know there's a re there's some really big critical facilities around here, including Facebook, and yeah, we got and, those. and Amazon and uh, and Microsoft. And, and thankfully, I work at a place now that they don't care what you do at all, you know. Um, but Microsoft is is actually asking and requiring their employees to get COVID, the the vaccine. 
which I thought was really crazy, which is also somewhere that, you know, if they close my site, which is uh, something that we've talked that we've talked about in the next two years, because nobody works there anymore. Everyone works at home now. Uh, you know, that's probably where I'd have to go. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, I don't want to do that, you know. And uh, But you guys also, you also passed a, uh, you banned the mask mandate. For schools. We, well, yeah, for local, well, so this is an interesting thing. So a lot of people, this is interesting. So we won, Iowa Republicans did really well in the election. And then in that second week of November, when you look at the hospitalization curve, there did look like there was a spike of hospitalizations related to COVID that if it continued to climb, and again, this is the other thing too about the, the stress in the healthcare system is a lot of the stress wasn't necessarily related to hospital beds per se, but nursing staff. And that's where Iowa does have uh, critical workforce shortages where um, I had a restaurant closed down in Fairfield, a beloved restaurant that everyone loves, and they had to close down because they couldn't, they couldn't staff it. Um, so this is, this is like the huge demographic problem in Iowa is that we have too many jobs and healthcare professionals are in very, very high demand. Um, so there was a time when um, there was a, a spike in, in, you know, we had a big illness last winter before Thanksgiving. And so the governor issued a mask mandate, but it was interesting because I, I remember be, like my knee jerk response was like, Ugh, oh, I can't believe she did this. I feel so betrayed. I remember like I felt betrayed because we had just won the election. And um, but then when I read the thing, I chuckled because it was virtually unenforceable. And the way the thing was written, it wouldn't have applied to me because um, there was there was religious and medical exemptions. There was exercise exemptions. There was uh, the mask mandate was only in effect if you were within the vicinity of someone within six feet right. or longer than fit. And, and, and Governor Reynolds herself said it was unenforceable. They're like, yeah, we don't want to devoid to devote you know, law enforcement being the mask police that we, that's nobody wants that job. We're not going to give them that job because nobody wants it. And so, yeah, so she did have a mask mandate for a few months, but it was interesting that when you peel it back and read it, it's like, okay, how is this going to be enforced? Um, which is another very interesting thing about the laws, the vaccine passport law included is how are these things enforced? So then she, um, but then after that, so then in February, our governor, um, released all the restrictions we're still in a state of emergency, but the restrictive part of it has been gone since February. And then you still had school boards and local governments trying to enforce a mask mandate, which was arguably illegal from the get-go. The attorney general issued an opinion in uh, April of 2020 describing how, no, you know, the, the law centers all emergency powers in the governor's office and there's you're not allowed to do anything more strict than what the governor is. But then the cities were still trying to do it anyway. And then the schools were the most important one because, as we already mentioned, the schools is where the state really does have and where the teachers' unions in certain parts of the country are literally holding the children hostage. Um, so the schools was the big issue specifically because you had children that, um, again, what is the reasonable accommodation that a school district can make to a child who has a medical condition that can't wear a mask? So that's a legitimate issue that was causing a lot of problems. The other thing was school boards were issuing criteria um, – that said, okay, we'll, we'll release the mask mandate once the rolling positivity average is below this level. Then they'd meet that metric and they'd keep the mask mandate in place. So all these things required state intervention to override these local authorities. And we said that, yeah, that uh, no, we're not going to. And the other thing was Dr. Fauci made some stupid comment. Oh, maybe masks will just be a permanent thing from now on. And that really, I think, got the lawmakers to act like, no, that's not a thing that's acceptable. Um but I do know I wasn't involved in the drafting of that. But what I did hear is the initial 
it started as a much more mild proposal. And then my theory is, is that all the anger and, and upset that we caused on the vaccine passport issue, that shifted the mask discussion to get much more comprehensive and much more um, forceful vis-a-vis those local governments. So it's interesting that just by being involved on one issue, you can move the needle positively on the other, because by the end of session, there was crowds of hundreds of people very angry, and the lawmakers had to find a way to to give them a bone. Sure. And and so that's that's my theory on how that happened is we were we, by by causing so much ruckus over the vaccine passport issue, we were able to get a much better outcome. And again, and it was really significant because that's something where the state of Florida ha- at that point hadn't done it. That there were still kids in Florida um, that were at in in not in person learning and having to wear masks in school. And in Iowa, we had 100% in person learning for those who wanted it. And um, there was no mask mandate. There was no mask requirement in public schools, which is extremely significant because the children, I think, have really been hit hardest by this. And just how malleable human behavior and psychology is that, you know, habits die hard. And that's been the interesting thing to see how everyone's adjusted to this pandemic. And some people are really buying into the new normal of, oh, I'm not taking my mask off. Now, I think some of that's softened a little bit, but it's just interesting social expectations on something like is you know it does society expect you to wear a mask in this setting and thankfully in iowa we said no we're done with that right and um well it's been weird for me because you know we had this high v up here mm-hmm. in urbandale we have a high v and, and we go there a lot and so like when it was really everybody was all worried i was the only one in there without a mask mm-hmm. every time i went in there now every time i go in there there's one person with a mask right. on it's completely flopped but we only had 33 new cases the other day sure. for the whole state, you know. So it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to think about like we're, we've laxed that max man that mask mandate and now that the cases are dropping. Well, I just want to point out Hyvee. So the other thing Hyvee did was significant was they and I, I don't know the full story on this. They didn't comment publicly, but the rumor was that Hyvee decided not to institute a mask mandate on their store mask mandate on their stores because their employees voted on it because they're an employee owned company. Sure. The rumor was they put that to their employees to vote and I reached out and they wouldn't, they wouldn't comment to me on it, but that was a rumor circulating, which, I mean, that just shows us that's a democratic outcome mm-hmm. um, that thankfully they chose that. But in my hometown, the other grocery store went full woke. They, you know, they've had, the, I think they still probably have transgender flags up black lives matter. flag. they had a cardboard cut out of Joe Biden, um, they were super heavy mass. They would kick Crazy. people out of the store. So like in my town, like the grocery store people, because this is a grocery store they went to. For like imagine, imagine you go to a grocery store for 20 years. You love it. You've gotten your nourishment there all the time. You love the people. You love the staff. And then all of a sudden they don't want you in because they think you're spreading disease and that you know that you're not. And and like it's, it's hard on people. And so if we didn't have high V, like respecting that personal freedom, like I'm just so thankful that they made that decision. And um, again, it just goes to show you like, you know, the, the what people do every day, the, the grocery stores in their community, like that's where political decisions like really have a lot of impact and really affect people's lives on a daily basis or a weekly basis, whatever it is. So uh, anyway, just got, I love Hy-Vee and thank yeah, you. Yeah, I like Hy-Vee that. too. And our Hy-Vee is like high class, man. It's got like a dry They've cleaner done a good in job it. In yeah, it's up. nice. Yeah, they pumped them up. Yeah, they're really nice. Uh, so Let's get away from the COVID thing. Another really great speech that I saw you give was on CRT mm, in okay. schools. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple people on the show talk about CRT. In fact, I had a, a organizational ther- uh, 
psychologist named Carlin Borisenko from New Hampshire who is very, very controversial because she swears it's not an anti-white thing and it gets mad at anybody who says that. Right. But she's also very anti-CRT at the same time. Okay. She says it's racist to all people, not just whites. And so if you say it's an anti-white thing, she gets really upset. But we had a good conversation about it. So, so you gave this great speech. You want to elaborate oh, thanks, on that? Yeah, it was good. It was one of the one of the better ones for sure. Yeah. So it was. Now thinking back, I wish because that's what I'm trying to find. This tone is like I don't want to come across as like just a middle class white guy, right? And this is what I've learned is when you're speaking as a politician, you're speaking to everyone no matter what, which is very tough because I very much want to speak to just my niche audience, right? Like right. I would love if I could just talk to the medical freedom women and that's it. Like that would be really easy because I could say everything 100%, you know, full force, whatever. Um, so it's a very controversial issue. And I, I think the other important thing, and I think this is why the communists are so successful, is because they latch on to legitimate grievances. Um, they just kind of offer an explanation or a remedy to those grievances that I think create more and more grievances and, and create a vicious cycle rather than solve the problem. So we really do have to, I think, I think what Jordan Peterson says, uh, and that's probably, to be honest, what I, how I prepared for that speech was just go back and watch some Jordan Peterson lectures, pick out a couple talking points, make them your own. Boom. You got a 10 minute lecture inspired by the greatest psychologists in North America. Um, so again, for anyone watching, that's a great shortcut. If you're speaking on a political topic, find someone and just kind of replicate it and make it your own and save yourself a lot of time. Um, so the action we did, the bill, basically it just says you can't be racist. It lists 10 divisive, we never use the term critical race theory because it's another thing why it's become, um, like when the left pushes back on this, it's become one of those buzzword, buzz phrases that means different things to different people. Um, so like a definition of critical race theory, it is kind of hard to pin down. Uh, but the bill, it lists 10, de 10 divisive topics and basically says those can't be involved in any sort of state mandated trainings or curriculum. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just, I mean, so many places to go, but it's just interesting because it's clear to me that there's a divide and conquer strategy where they want white versus black, black versus white. They want racial tension and CRT seems to represent this, but it is, there are, there are instances where, yeah, we need a lot of room for improvement. And when I visit the prisons in Iowa, they're filled with overwhelmingly black men and the prisons are not designed to rehabilitate people. They're not honoring human dignity. So, I mean, we can point to legitimate things that need to be fixed. Um, but basically, you know, I just wanted to challenge the notion of white privilege. So that's, that was the thing that stuck out in my the speech is I, I just said that, um, that yeah, if you're if if you're this whole term white privilege is judging me based on the color of my skin, that doesn't feel good. And um, then I talked for a lot longer, but but yeah, I think that's been the most rewarding part of being in the legislature and probably being one of my strengths is I'm able to articulate these concepts. And that's honestly why I decided to run for office is because I was writing jokes, but I would lose focus. And instead of trying to write jokes for my open mic. I started daydreaming about talking about political topics in a way that could bring people together. And so that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like disarm the other side by like, like Jordan Peterson says, give the devil their due, acknowledge that what they're talking about are serious issues, that there are things that need to be worked on. Um, but then just state my truth plainly that, 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 yeah, I do think it's racist when you say that I'm something, you know, when you judge me solely on my, my white skin, whether you're saying I'm privileged or, racist or whatever that 
So anyway, the, I need to, the, the build does a great job. It'll be very interesting to see how it's applied because it seems that they're already gonna try to push back and just do it anyway, or find these technical, art. like on the mask thing, the technicality that they found was, oh, well, the school buses are governed by the federal rules. So you have to wear a mask on the school bus. And, and that's, that's how you know you're being successful is when the other side is consistently just resorting to find technicalities to circumvent. Uh, which is why I'm a Republican, because I can say the Republican Party delivered on these issues that are tangibly improving people's lives in, in that I can send my kid to public school and know that there's a much less chance of them being indoctrinated in racism because the state took action against critical race theory or divisive topics. Um, I don't know. Is that kind of what you're hoping to hear? I'm yeah, sure yeah, that. absolutely. And um, so when I talked to Carlin, Dr. Carlin Borisenko, sure, her thing was that, you know, yeah, there's this anti-white element, but also it's telling, you know, black kids that they can't ever be anything because of these issues. Yeah. So, you know, I understood her what her take on it. Well, it's sure. a crisis of identity, and this affects everything, is who are you as a human being? Who are you? How do you define yourself? And that's why even, like, I'll get kind of prickly when I hear people like, oh, I'm a libertarian, I'm an anarchist. Like, when you say I am and, like, whatever comes after that, like, it's so crucial because people get so wrapped up in their identities. And I think we've seen that with some of the people that you've taken out where this thing, this label of being a part or having this position in the party, that was the most important thing to them that defined their life. Thankfully, like I've never like, yeah, I'm a Republican, but I'm so much more than that. Like if I wasn't a Republican, I would still be a very full put together human being. Now I see this all the time. It's interesting how Politics tend to attract personality, but there are definitely people who are local activists that if you took away their Republican position or their Democrat position, they would have an identity crisis sure. because they, they use that as a crutch to determine who they are. And that's what I think we really need to step away from. And why that's my big problem with critical race theory is you're not seeing someone as an individual, as a child of God, as an individual with infinite potential to love and to experience joy or whatever you're seeing them as, oh, you're just a white person. You're just a cisgender. You're a transgender. It's like, no, I'm none of those things. I'm a human being. And that's so much more all-encompassing because I think that's what we're doing in this age of ignorance is we sell ourselves short at every opportunity. We're sloppy with our words. We're sloppy. We don't know how to think properly. Our minds don't work right. We're all mentally ill in our own ways. And then again, we just are so lacking in how we divine, define ourselves. And as Jordan Peterson tells us, the way we define ourselves is going to necessarily impact every single interaction we have with the world. Sure. So that's really what we need to be instructing is the opposite of that. Yeah, you are black, you are this, but you're so much more. And that's, so I don't know whatever the opposite of critical race theory would be. Um, maybe just radical love and acceptance. I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know. But whatever the opposite is, we should teach that. I agree. I agree fully. I, I usually keep, uh, I usually have uh, Dr. Peterson's book up here, but my uh, fiance, Julia, took it took it up to my 16-year-old. She's like, you need to read this. Dude, that's, um, <laughs> yeah, your fiance is really impressive. That's probably, well, one, I only met you through her first sure, off. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. And that's how I knew you were someone we're talking to because you seem to have this just wonderfully beautiful awesome wife and you manage to somehow keep her happy and i think that's what i don't know how I, that's the quality of a man and anyways that's why i was so eager to get on your show because that's what i'm looking for right is like um who are you what have you done and being able to maintain that like that's the thing you all these like libertarian guys 
I don't care what they think. Show me the hot chick. I want to know what her, I, I want to know what she <laughs> thinks because that's who I'm trying to impress, right? Like, sure. so anyway. Uh, well, it's, it's funny. Earlier when we were out on the deck, you were talking about this this uh, man and woman kind of vibe thing. You want to elaborate on that? It was it was good. It well, was good. like okay, what year were you born? Eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah. Oh, I was right. I was a guess. I was yeah, right though. Yeah. Um, Getting old. Yeah, they're starting <laughs> to show, but you you got some scars on you. Yeah. How how much do you smoke? Way too much. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but but we're we're gonna quit soon. Well, yeah. so that was the thing to me. I had uh, I was going with my wellness coach, and she's like, Jeff, just promise me you never get Botox. I was like, What are you talking about? And she's like, Well, I see some wrinkles starting to form in your face. So I have one of those rose quartz tools now. I'm like ironing out my face wrinkles. Um. Anyway, that's how that's what I get from hanging out with chicks. They try sure. to make yeah. me look pretty. Yeah. And. Uh, so no, there there is, and I noticed it too when I started going to libertarian events and Young Americans for Liberty, and certainly my, when I was an activist in college campus, it definitely slanted towards the male side of things, and obviously males. And I saw I, that was what I saw you and Dave Smith joking about it, and I get it, like it is a funny joke, but at the end of the day, it's like not that funny, and it really does indicate a serious deficiency because women are half the population or more sure and they really are influential now i came from i have a cherokee lineage i'm more cherokee than elizabeth warren um but less cherokee than an actual cherokee um <laughs> but I, I it was like seven generations ago um so I, I i've been very interested in my cherokee ancestry and in my research which means like i probably read three articles online a few years ago or whatever um, but this concept of like a matriarchal society and having the proper gender roles in their right place. And so men are really good at this kind of protect and provide role. But obviously women need, I mean, women are competent at leading domestic affairs. And then when we look at, say, the collective domestic. So in the Cherokee society, it was much more matriarchal where women were leading and making decisions in that society. And so I've always been impressed with that. And um, my political success has been largely due to women um a very significant very significant contributions to my success have come from women and i've noticed that discrepancy and it's a problem it's a problem for a lot of reasons one is because you get to one of these libertarian events and there's the one hot chick that everyone creeps on and then she feels uncomfortable because she's in a room full of creeps yeah so we again the kind of self-awareness of and i deal with this like because i have i do community brunches so i serve brunch to 50 people every week in my in my town and i have the same kind of vibe where we have a lot of radical visionaries, a lot of square pegs and round holes, a lot of people that are a little bit antisocial that have been on the fringes that have a lot of great ideas, but might not know how to communicate them. And there are a lot of socially awkward things that can even on a subtle level level make someone uncomfortable. So, and that's where like the skills of being a politician, like my skills are basically just talking to people. I mean, being able to go to someone's doorstep, knock on their door, and within five minutes, like ask, "Hey, you know, what are your what are your biggest concerns and issues? How are the kids doing? What does your retirement look like?" You know, being able to build rapport quickly to where someone will trust you to revealing, like, "Oh, well, actually, the political issue I really care about is um, whatever it is." And a lot of time, you know, like whatever it could be, but like things that are personal, you have to have a rapport with someone to really get to that level. And it's not easy, and for some people, it's incredibly difficult because they're awkward or autistic or whatever you guys call it. But um, in the libertarian circle, it's autistic. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Yeah.
Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and there is a tendency like to drive yeah. people away and yeah. um, and go off on really obscure tangents that have no bearing. So, like, so that's a challenge I'm actively solving because I recognize that if I have the young women involved then the young men will follow. And if we have young women and young men, then before we know it, we'll have young families. And if we have young families, then we have people that are literally invested in the next 20 years of a community, right? Because that's the other big thing too about how time is such an important thing and how long-term relationships really are what govern because the status quo is really just the existing configuration of long-term relationships. And we have to be a part of that. And it's going to be hopefully young families are going to be the ones that have enough of a vested interest that, yeah, I care about the future of this community to get involved in city council and vote and and do those things. So um, so but if I'm trying to attract young women, but I got these, you know, 50 or 60 year old old men that might not be outwardly horny, but are probably thinking some dirty thoughts inside their heads like that's going to resonate. That energy is going to be in the room and even just like you know, sultry glances or whatever it is. Like people can pick up on very, people who are sensitive pick up on that energy and you need to create a space that's very warm and welcoming for everyone. So again, my success, and I've seen it from uh, my Facebook statistics and um, I, I'm, I've been able to connect with a, with, a, with a demographic of women and I've been able to connect with issues that women really care about. And, and that's very important because when we talk about, at least in Iowa, um, or nationally, a big demographic of swing voters are suburban women, sure. uh, women like your your wife, 30 to 49, typically with children who, um, you know, have kind of gone back and forth between Republican and Democrat. And those, those are, you know, bellwether voters that, that are, are highly sought after. So as a political entrepreneur, crafting a message that I can go to the suburbs and get a lot of suburban women on board, that's going to be immensely valuable and um, I think I've demonstrated a little bit of success with that, that hopefully I can scale up. So Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so earlier we talked a little bit about like the, the entertainment aspect as well of, of, of politics and being more entertaining and bringing more people to your yeah. cause through that. And uh, I mean, you're also so you're probably one of the most entertaining politicians hey, thanks. that I've ever met. But that's because you do have this side of you that's not like a normal politician side you're very spiritual you uh you make sauerkraut you go out into the forest and do peaceful <laughs> like peaceful hippie things and you, you like mushrooms and yeah. you know it's not normal gop like republican act you are entertaining well, as a ron paul republican this is the ron paul revolution and this is thing we are the new gop like i'm telling like i get um like when i when i have eight other republicans the young republicans including uh, very senior committee chairs like Bobby Kaufman voting in favor of my psilocybin bill sure. and like congratulating, like, yeah, we got to get this done. Keep working on it. That shows that we are taking over the GOP and that is some fertile soil there. Um, yeah. The entertainment. Well, one, okay. Cause politics is very boring and 
the I think another thing that people don't realize the power of imagination and attention because attention truly is the most valuable currency you have in a lot of ways and what you pay attention to grows in power um you know because what you pay attention to is going to govern your life etc and then and i remember one time i was like i was door knocking or i was talking to some guy and some of this idea of like oh i really want to see world peace oh no i was on a sales call that was it it's about like well, i was making jokes about world peace and he's like oh i'll never that'll never happen so in this guy's mind he couldn't even imagine a fu- think how easy it is to imagine you can oh, imagine anything you want yeah, absolutely yeah it's not hard mm-hmm. He couldn't even imagine or wasn't willing to even imagine all countries coming together and uniting in peace. Like they, and if you can't imagine it, it's, and this is it's not going to happen. And this is, um, there was a book called Psycho-Cybernetics that was given to me by Kirk Shelley, who's a longtime political activist that if any political activist worth, worth, you know, should know Kirk. Um, it was Psycho-Cybernetics. It was written by a cosmetic surgeon in like the 1950s, back when cosmetic surgery was like much more legit in terms of like fixing facial deformities and stuff. And he would notice like, even he would remove like a minor defect from someone. Like let's say someone may have like a mole on their face that maybe was mild and not that bad. And he would remove something and then it would result in a lasting personality change. And so he kind of pioneered this literature on like how you view yourself is so significant. And then further how like you imagine yourself. So they would run tests that like, um, practicing shooting three throws on the court is like almost as equal to you in detail imagining you going through and like imagining yourself shooting a a free throw or imagining yourself giving a speech like myself imagining giving a speech and what i'm going to say is like just as beneficial it's been shown as me literally reciting it into the mirror or something same thing with like a piano if you just imagine yourself hitting the right keys so like even a lot of athletes will talk about this um you know, like, oh, you know, they imagine themselves winning the championship or they imagine themselves connecting with that long ball Hail Mary or something like they're able to see it in their mind before it happens. And that's what kind of greases the wheels for reality to bring it forth. So we need to really be using the harnessing the power of our imagination and then power coming from attention. We need to harness the attention of the collective. We need as many people paying attention and then like buying into whatever our narrative is like so like i need as many people paying attention to my legislative initiatives and saying yeah that's something i want and and that's a huge challenge because there's a huge disconnect to okay i introduced a bill and it's very hard to keep track of what's happening at the state house it's hard enough for me working there every day so i imagine how hard it is for someone who is less familiar with the process and has an actual job um but if everyone could, if, 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 I, if I had 10,000 people across the state imagining and paying their attention to the decriminalization of, of psilocybin mushrooms or the liberalization of our state's marijuana laws or just, you know, all the mothers imagining sending their kids to school and their kids being met with the most wholesome, locally grown, organic, nutritious food. Like if we can hold those thoughts in our head and like revisit them, um, that's what it's going to take to actually bring it forth in reality. And there's been a lot, like even the book, have you read like think and grow rich by Napoleon? I have not read that. You you heard people talk about it. So that's, that's like a big thing. And that was like, you know, he pioneered that. That was in the great depression, but the power of imagination 
and then letting people, and that's why Donald Trump was so successful. Like he would talk about, oh, this building's going to be the most beautiful building. It's going to be the greatest building, the, the most wonderful, luxurious building ever put forward. So he's painting this picture to paint a picture in people's imaginations. And then he's being very boastful and ostentatious to attract people's vision, attract people's attention to his vision. And that's how he was able to, you know, take over the real estate market was harnessing people's collective attention and, and letting them buy in on the same vision. And same thing with make America great again. Oh, I can imagine America being great. Okay. Dude, it's, I was at the 4th of July parade in Bloomfield and the number of people that are still waving Trump 2020 flags and Trump 2024 flags, oh, yeah. the way that Trump was able to brand himself synonymously with American exceptionalism, like that's super impressive that these people, when they're waving a Trump flag, that's their version of loving America, the country that's so important, is like personified. Like, and again, that was just branding. That was marketing. That was done by building a vision getting people to pay attention to it and buy into it. So like, that's the kind of subtle marketing sales thing that, I mean, Ron Paul was able to do it spontaneously just of being, but I mean, that's what we need to do is we need to be able, and that's why I call myself an artist and why when I'm in the state house, I just view that whole chamber as my canvas and I view, view my words and my bills as like my brushstrokes. Like that's literally how I see it. Like I'm painting a picture that hopefully is beautiful enough for the people of Iowa. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. We got some uh, super chats. Cool. Uh, shout out to Drywall Zero. He said, "Wiener dog, dog food." <laughs> uh, Grass-fed beef. It's nice, smart. Uh, Level Zero says CRT is going to be hard to get out of schools. Lefty teachers love to feel like they're being subversive. I see what is on the walls in classrooms. Yeah, and that, and that was someone's going to bring up here. They're defying it. Yeah, they're completely defying the the ban on it, right? Well, and that's the thing. I need to get down in the weeds because it's just interesting. Because that's the thing. What is critical race theory? And that's the other thing, too, is like we we're, we we were not outlawing discussions of race or the Tulsa riots or slavery. We're just saying it can't be taught as official curriculum. It cannot be taught as official curriculum that all white people are racist. So when you actually read the bill, it's actually beautiful. It's like you cannot teach any instruction that inherent that it like judges someone inherently based on race alone. Like it's it's literally astonishing that we basically paraphrased Martin Luther King and put it into Iowa code and the liberals are freaking out, but, but it does nothing. It's like, Oh, we're not going to be able to teach racism. Yeah. You could teach Rodney King, teach the Tulsa race riots, teach Malcolm X. I think every high school student should read Malcolm X. I think every person should know how terrible it was or the Frederick Douglass story or all these things like very important to know this history, but just the idea of collective guilt is designed to, um, skewer and schism society so please don't sure yeah absolutely uh thanks for the 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 super sticker lo-fi uh so what's next for you jeff what do you what do you got going on man i am spiritually mentally and physically exhausted so i'm consulting with my homeopath i gotta um see this is i thought my bad habits were disrupting my nervous system and I think it was my disruptive nervous system that was causing my bad habits. Sure. So we had a really good consultation with a homeopath today, another very powerful woman. Uh, this is great. My other wellness coach, um, we kind of hit a plateau. She's like, yeah, I prayed about it. I don't think I can really work with you anymore. So she kind of let me go. Um, and then she's like, well, I'm going to pray that yeah, another woman can you know, help you the way you need it or whatever. And then boom, like a month and a half later, I have this. She's like the godmother homeopath of my town and just so brilliantly intuitive. And she's like so great at like, 
just calling, you know, I, I mean, I've been very forthward anyway, but just telling you what, anyway, so I got a new relationship with the homeopath. I'm going to get healthy. And um, we have a lot of events this summer. Um, local elections this fall. I think there's a lot on the ballot. Local elections are going to be critical. Local elections are, we're very, there are low turnout affairs. That gives a one person an oversized ability to influence things. Um, I want to get back into comedy. So the biggest thing that happened to me recently was uh, Dr. Simone Gold, who made famous um, for being very heavily censored on hydroxychloroquine. She's amazing. Oh, God. I was so impressed, dude. I just, these women just make my heart melt. I just want to like, suck their toes or something <laughs> i just want to worship i just i don't know i i i want to respect and honor and just worship these women because i think they're so powerful and so needed and um yeah so she's amazing and brilliant I, and i was so lucky i was able to speak at this event this was the largest live audience i ever talked to and i was so sick about what i was going to talk about i was like about to vomit backstage i stayed up all night before trying to draft out and rehearse some remarks and while i'm driving to the event i'm like that's terrible so i basically threw it out the window and then I leaned hard into the comedy thing. So I really love making people laugh. And I really think comedy and laughter is powerful because now more than ever, we need to be experiencing joy. All this stuff is so gangbusters crazy. We need to laugh at it. Laughing at things disempower stuff. I think that's why Dave Smith is so powerful. Why if Dave Smith can just rehearse a couple real clean punchlines, I think he can really tr- uh, scale up his national profile. Um, Ronald Reagan told a lot of jokes that were very endearing. So I'm tr- I want to get back into this comedy thing because I've been working on it and then I hadn't done it since the pandemic hit. And just because of the nature of like, because I used to tell a lot of jokes that kind of stopped becoming funny when I was like actually in elected office that people had a lot harder time laughing at it because they took it a lot more seriously. But I, I, that's something I want to develop. Um, I think that's probably where my skill set lies and then just becoming much more fluent in the laws and hopefully being able to litigate some of these civil rights cases, some of these medical medical freedom cases, because there's like at least 10 or a dozen very, very highly contentious legal questions that need to be debated in front of the Supreme Court yesterday. Because um, that's this crazy thing about this whole lockdown. So none of this was really legal. All we really needed to do the whole time is just push back on sure, it. Sure. But we, we just didn't, which is embarrassing. But now we're learning to, and now the whole world's... Now I think it's going to be the spiritual revival of America showing the nation what it really means to, to govern yourself and lead against and push back against these corporate overworld. I, what I see is this coming resurgence of true American exceptionalism, of nonviolent civil disobedience, of revolutionary thought and action, of health, freedom, and liberty, inspiring the whole entire world uh, to push back against the pharmaceutical companies. So look forward to that. Um, I think that's what's going to happen. Is that Because right now, America... I mean, all these other countries are still locked down. Sure. They really did that bait and switch of, oh, take the vaccine. Oh, you took it. Oh, the new variant. We have to stay locked down. Although I guess uh, Boris Johnson said July 19th for England. We'll see if they stick to that timetable. Doubtful. They, they, they've said three different dates. Yeah, now. it's yeah, wild. Yeah. It's wild. Um, I'm trying to get Lawrence uh, how was it, from the, the guy who started the Reclaim Party over there. That's like really pushing back on oh, all this stuff. Oh, I haven't stuff. heard of that yet. I'm trying to get him on the show. I emailed him the other day. So cool. that'd be really cool. Overseas, yeah. yeah, get your international influence yeah, on. Yeah. That's I had Zuby on too. Zuby's pretty cool. Oh, I need to listen to that one. Yeah, that's was, great. He was really he was really fun. I like Zuby a lot. Yeah, but. you've done some great shows. I'm impressed yeah. you've been on some great guests and Thanks, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Um and that's the thing, we just need to connect more because there is there's one, there's there's so many things to do. Um, but there are, I mean, we truly are the silent majority and we need to find ways to just coordinate more because, um, 
Yeah, we got to get you at the state house, and yeah, that's definitely and, and, on and my radar. Got to figure out a way to, you know, yeah, use that Libertarian Party as a wedge to make sure both parties act better, make sure everyone acts better. I think we should, because there are issues I do agree with Democrats on, and I have voted with Democrats on amendments before, um, and the qualified immunity thing was a big thing. So I spoke. Did you didn't see that speech? No, I haven't seen that one. Well, just thank God when I gave that speech. All the Democrats had just taken their masks off, so I was able to see them smiling as I like just ripped ripped the bill to shreds, and that was really sad. If they, if because I didn't realize how emotional it was that everyone's wearing masks and how just the act of seeing people smiling uh, was really meaningful. So that was another big highlight was ripping into the Republicans and seeing the Democrats smile because the CDC had just reversed or you know changed their mask thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, so there's infinite things to do. We need to find ways to be to, to take leadership. Leadership is just defined as responsibility. So find an area to take responsibility for, and you know you become a leader. So like you know, Top Lobster is already the, the, the de facto leader of graphic design now because he took responsibility for it. And that's what I always said. Like when I when I was you know before I got into this position, when I was just walking around the neighborhood tripping on mushrooms, I would just pick up trash. And I just, you know, appointed myself the trash captain in my community because, you know, when you're on mushrooms, it really offends you to see litter on the ground. Sure, yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and so little simple things like that that should that just go. And it just takes a little bit of effort. And that's what's crazy. And that's why I love about Jordan Peterson. Like a little bit of effort taken daily or as a habit really goes a long way. And it can happen quickly. Like we can turn our society around by next week. If, if we just set a really good example and show people what it means to be he- healthy, happy, and free. Because um, people are, I mean, people are sheep. I'm a sheep. I'm just shepherded by Bobby Kennedy and Del Bigtree and Ron Paul. You know, th- that's my shepherd. But I'm a sheep. And that's just human nature. We're social creatures and we follow the leader. And unfortunately, there's a lot of wolves, you True. know, devouring. And I think that's for us as men is to stand up and, and to protect the innocence of the sheep and, and make sure that the sheep are being led by righteous shepherds. Um, you know, depending on your theology, that might be Jesus Christ or whatever it is. But shepherded by, by truth or by love or by liberty versus all these wolves. I mean, the literal Fabian socialist wolves in sheep clothing that seem to be leading the people into some sort of genocidal culling. I don't know what's going to transhumanism, whatever. I don't know. Sure. I'm, I'm very scared. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of craziness going out there and definitely, you know, I'm about as anti-communist as they come, but it's like you you see this society moving closer and closer every day. Well, and then I just always realized too where So, okay, because I feel like I um I gave a speech in April on the vaccine passport issue where it really was like, oh, after I gave that speech, I was like I was like I was like, "Oh, now I understand how Hitler did it. How Hitler did it." It was like clear how people can be led and how the oration is so powerful um and it is scary and how now i can see like why people would be attracted to that and why why like for the people who were already suffering from anxiety and depression why the lockdowns were great for them because it gave them permission to stay inside and do nothing and so then because now they have this public policy tool lockdown that supports them and their mental illness, they'll fight to keep it. Sure. That was when I first blew my lid. Well, I don't know if it was the first time, but when I, it was one of the memorable times where I really recognized how serious and severe things were. Was I saw a young woman in town. She was complaining about some of the restrictions being lifted. And she's like, no, I, you can't take me off unemployment. You can't make me go back to work. Uh, and, I was like, and I literally, I was like, well, okay, you, you trusted the authorities when they shut things down 
can we trust them to open back up too? Right. Is that, I don't want to talk about this with you. And I was like, Oh, okay. We're in real deep shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, we got some more super chats. Shan Lee says our Ron Paul Republican here watching what's been going on in the LP can tell you I'm more libertarian than most who are official members. Great pod guys. Well, Probably. and that's the thing too that I realized that okay, like we have this kind of foothold or I think the way I see it is like Ron Paul gave us a beachhead in the Republican Party. But again, when these issues come up, it still shows you the big gap that exists. And there are like a lot of the conventional older Republicans that are just that aren't like us. But it's just so amazing, just these complicated political relationships and then what actual political party is. I don't know. It is it is challenging navigating all the political relationships. And I can understand why like a certain why a few terrible Republicans will drive people away or make people just throw out the whole party. But I mean, at a local level, when you get involved at the grassroots level, you'll find people that are very sympathetic and are probably like that's how we became leaders. Like we were just right over time. Like we just became consistent. Too. Yeah, well, and just like, and, and yeah, and and as the other thing on the black world is like nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. So like you're never gonna show up at the first meeting and like be like, oh wow, this guy's so smart, he's done all his research, let's follow him. But when you show up at like that third or fourth meeting and like so it's clear like you're interested in learning more and helping out, and then you kind of speak from a hey, this might help us better, you know, or like you come from that position of like not being antagonistic but couching it as like a a constructive criticism, like you'll go a lot farther. Like that book, uh, did you ever read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends? Oh, yeah, that's one of the best. That should be must reading for anyone. Like Especially going into politics. For politics, for sales, (laughs) for life. I mean, I was so embarrassed. By the time I read that, I was already in my late 20s. And I, it was, my boss made me read it because I was failing at these basic human courtesies and these just basic, um, tools of just social interaction where we are social creatures humans depend on one another and we need to learn how to get along with folks and um not and just step away from this oh take my toys and go home attitude which is basically what i see again across all the spectrum but certainly in the libertarian is a lot of just grown children who have this take their toys and go home mentality like oh fine i'm not gonna play with you and it's pathetic and um and how, because what we really need to do is we're, we're building a new nation. We're building a real nation and the real American nation built on freedom, built on liberty, built on our uh, the ultimate human destiny, on God's truth, whatever. And we, we need to, be, it's a nation. It means we don't all need to agree, but we need to survive the winter, you know? Absolutely. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a trip out there, man. Uh, humans are freaking weirdos oh yeah they're we're the worst man Absolutely. yeah for sure lo-fi republican thanks for the the big ten dollar uh super chat he said delta variant isn't even that bad oh yeah give this guy some more money dude he's got all these kids he's feeding it's very <laughs> impressive dude he's keeping all jeff, these kids jeff came, jeff came over and had dinner with all seven of our children tonight and uh and and the fiance uh julia as well and so he got to see them all in the person it, it, it is a lot man it's a lot it's a lot of mouths to feed, yeah. and they're all very hungry, and they all have their unique needs, and you got to pay attention to them. It's tough out there. So if anyone's got an extra hundred dollars for this guy, <laughs> um, you know, or just become a channel member. That's the you know six bucks a month, and you get all the cool uh, custom hand drawn emojis and badges, and you get to watch the exclusive content. That sounds pretty dope. It's worth it, man. Yeah, we have exclusive content with every show. Sounds like a great deal. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he said Thomas Massey posted data on the Delta variant. And oh yeah, I, I I reposted that. So again, why my job is like, yeah, Thomas Massey had a great Twitter. 
I copied, I just downloaded the images, rephrased it, um, put it on my Facebook. And yeah, so yeah, you just rip off. That's what they, that's why they call it copy is if someone's doing something, someone did challenge. I got everyone always challenges figures though. Someone was on my Facebook. Oh, those aren't the real India figures. I don't know, but it, it, either way, there's a lot of fuckery afoot. Um, and my line on the thing was, I just said, uh, Dr. Fauci is like the boy who cried wolf while simultaneously bioengineering wolves. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. No shit. I, I got kicked off of Facebook back in October for... Permanently? Uh, yeah. Well, they, I just started a new account and haven't been kicked off yet, but I had been... I'd started like four new accounts and did every time Did you ever verify your driver's off. license with Yeah. Them? Oh, you did? Yeah. They still kicked you off? I had my account for 11 years. For what? Why did they kick off? What'd so you do? I, I dared to theorize that maybe this... Uh, may have been let go from a lab in Wuhan. Well, that's mainstream science now. Now, yeah, but it wasn't in October. <laughs> so I t- Facebook told me they said, oh, they they're most they're less likely to ban your account if you verified it. So the yeah. fact if that's disturbing to me. Yeah, I was verified. I verified as soon as they gave me the warning. I, I had to verify, but I had already verified several times, anyways. But I had that account for. So you're not years. on. You are on Facebook. Right I got now. back on like three or four days ago, and they haven't kicked me off yet. But I had started like two or three other. Uh, pages during my my ban in the last you know six months or whatever it's what's been yeah about six or eight months six or yeah six months and uh and every time i started a new one within six hours they had taken it down because you posted something or because they knew it was just because they knew it was me isn't that creepy dude i I almost want to talk to the because i i talked to the facebook lobbyist about this because well because i was like i knew it was coming i've had constituents with this issue and I, i was just trying to figure out what the policies were and it was very complicated and like i was Nobody knows them. That's the great thing well, about Facebook. Well, they're making it up as they go along, basically. <laughs> exactly. And um, and so that was the thing. So I, I went out to like I got my video nipped off YouTube. And I was like, oh, well, upload it to us on Facebook. We won't take it down. And so like that was the thing. Like they were they were just trying to tell me, I guess what I wanted to hear. And that was one of the things they said. Like, oh, we're only banning accounts that are spoofed, which kind of because I had a woman. Um, she claimed she got kicked off Facebook just for things she was sending through Messenger. And got without warning, and her oh, she geez. did like a, a, a business through her Facebook. She lost all her business contacts, so it was a big pain in the butt for her. But on her case, like it sounded like, oh, she had a duplicate profile, and it could maybe you know they just deleted the wrong one. So I don't know. So like again, how these Facebook like I've tried. This is this is what my job is. I have to talk to the Facebook lobbyists and figure out what their censorship policy is and argue for or against it or or, or make these complaints. So. Um, I need to get a better job at that. I need to, and it's, it's, yeah, we need to find a way to confront this issue. I was wanting to sue YouTube, uh, but then they put my video back up. So I was like, well, okay. Yeah. Cause they, you were actually like a political, we were on the yeah. floor of the house debating yeah. a bill, but our, the city, the city of Fairfield was debating, imagine? they were debating their mask policy at a city council meeting and that did get kicked off YouTube and that was not reinstored. So that was something that I do want to see happen at the local level. Imagine them kicking off house debate. Like yeah. off YouTube, that's right. just insane to think about. Well, then a city council meeting, but then it's even crazy, okay? Because censorship historically had been accompanied by an urgent and immediate like danger, like you know the fire. Like, what person is looking at a video of a city council meeting, listening to two old guys voice their opinion on masks, and then deciding to change their behavior based on what they heard on YouTube, and then that behavior actually causing someone harm in real life, right? That's quite a leap. So th- there's, in my opinion, no justification for that censorship. And that, again, it's one of the things the Supreme Court needs to get figured out 
And of course, we know they're compromised or whatever, but um, I don't know. We need some justice here. Sure, sure. More justice, less censorship. More truth than justice. Yeah, more. That's the important More part. Alex Jones, less Dr. Fauci. A- A- Alex Jones has been right so many damn times. Well, and he said that he was the canary in the coal mine. He said, oh, when they come after me, you know, we're in real deep shit. And then they nipped him, dude. And all four at once. It was a coordinated attack. Yeah. He was like the first. He was the first. He was the canary in the coal mine. And that was just so funny. Oh, he said radical things about Sandy Hook. I, again, I was never like an adamant listener of him. Like I just listened to him back when I was in college and I moved on to other things. But like I had ne- like the things that he was so beat up upon, I had never heard him talk about. Like so, I remember just being like so like oh Alex and like it was just very all confusing to me, and sad. Yeah, because he's a tr- he's a troubled guy. He needs love. Like <laughs> Someone needs to hug Alex Jones for sure. Well, he's been down in Austin, Texas now, and he was a guest of my favorite comedy podcast is Kill Tony, and <laughs> he was on there, and um, he's just such a clown. But but again, a very entertaining persona who captures your attention. Yeah captures your imagination and maybe he scares the crap out of you which is maybe not the right direction you want your imagination but he is again he at least my he captured my attention captured my imagination i don't know if i ever went as far as buying products i'm sure i bought maybe some of the cheap stuff some male vitality i probably that's probably what i need that's how i got that's how i got off track dude that's probably my homeopath's gonna come back with you're gonna need a bottle of the male vitality buy one get one free yeah yeah good news we got a great deal Here, I guess the bad news is you're acting like a little bitch. Yeah. Great news is there's a special buy one, get one, Alex Jones male vitality. Yeah, yeah. The frogs. The frogs are gay. Buy the frogs. Yeah. And, and turns out he was right. He was right about the frogs. Yeah. I talk about this on my show all the time. I'm like, listen, you guys are all beating up on Alex Jones. He was right about the gay frogs. That says it all. That's all you need to know. You know? Uh, Lo-fi Republican, Jeff passed the, uh, he says, Jeff passed the DeSantis free speech bill for Break the Cycles Facebook. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the, we did talk about big tech legislation, um, and and that was the thing is like actually solving this problem. Like it is a very complicated legal question, and I don't claim to understand it, but it, there is a, definitely a legislative interest in addressing these questions. Um, and I know Senator Jake Chapman, um, he would be a good point of contact. Uh, he he was the one working on it, and he would be the one who you should probably ask him, Hey, why didn't this get done? You guys have one job to do, protect us from these big tech people, right. you know? So get on his case and he'll teach you about it. If you're in Iowa, reach out to Senator Chapman, find out what's going on in big tech. I've been calling the big tech companies, political predators. That's what they are. They're pushing a political narrative and they're, they're literally censoring anybody with political views. They don't like, well, supposedly they're harvesting all the data in the world to feed into these AI algorithms which then control and govern us and whatever this new fourth industrial revolution hellscape is going to be. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, according to Whitney Webb is that a lot of these concepts were founded out of, um, you know, defense research projects. Hey, we, we, we want a profile in everyone. We want predictive programming. We want to be able to, and this is, so the big thing is we'll see how far Biden's able to get with this domestic extremist agenda. The sad thing is, and this is, well, just God help us. God be with us. Um, it looks like Biden right now is a sitting duck in the water. So probably if they're going to move in this domestic terror direction, there's probably going to need to be some sort of precipitating event, some sort of catalyst um, to justify that. And God only knows. But it seems like Biden is already a sitting duck dead in the water. And that, thankfully, Kamala Harris, people really don't seem to care for her. She's done enough to damage her reputation where she's I think dead on day one too. So it's okay. What are going to be these other mitigating circumstances that would motivate people into this? So 
brace yourself and pray pray for the angels to protect us. Do you remember when there was that missile warning thing in Hawaii where there yep. was like so the what was your take on that? What do you think actually happened there? No idea. Did man. you ever listen to Tulsi on Rogan? No, talk I didn't about hear. It? I didn't oh. hear Tulsi talk about it. I should, so I should have supposedly to that. the official explanation is like someone made a mistake or whatever. Right. I believe that a missile was actually launched by some sort of benevolent alien force intercepted it in high orbit. Well, did you, so I've been watching a lot of information recently about this final card situation. Have you checked any? I don't know what that means. So, so there's a lot of people and some some pretty high up people. Um, that have been inside the extraterrestrial sphere oh, cool. for a long time, yeah. who seem to think that all this stuff has been super planned that's going on, and that the last card, the final card to get full control is the threat of UFO invasion. Of UFO They're really going to do that? Well, and, and, you, you, and then if you start thinking about it, how they were talking about the... The, the Pentagon actually finally released that they've seen you. Well, that's been another and... creepy thing that's been completely not talked about nearly enough. <laughs> like six months ago, you had the, one of the heads of his, the Israeli spy agency yeah. saying that, oh, I have permission to talk about this now. And the Pentagon released that they have they actually have seen UFOs. Well, in the video footage. Yeah. Um, but it's crazy, which is still so grainy, and it, it leaves a lot of questions. But, I mean, so the, the, what I had been told is that, yeah, at the atomic era, after we started getting involved in nuclear weapons, that that triggered something in the intergalactic community to get more involved on Earth. Right. So I think there's agreement that aliens exist and that we're not alone in the universe, and that'd just be humility when you look at how expansive the galaxy is. The question is, to what extent are aliens involved in the Earth's agenda? Currently. Is there truly uh, reptiles harvesting adrenochrome but, I mean, that almost helps me think about the world. way because, like, I've eaten caviar before. You know, I've eaten veal. So if, like, really this is just some evolutionary predator where, well, hey, these this species of reptilian just really love the taste of baby blood, and so they're just doing what's in their best interest. It makes it easier to kind of, like, sympathize and, like, like, oh, I can see that. Like, yeah, we're just, we're just doing our part on the food chain, you know? Um so I, I probably am in, in, in the David Icke realm of things. I really, that was uh, when David Icke did his podcast with uh, London Real. Um, that was huge for me in terms of just, because again, when, when you're, when I need to, just, I need to talk to this more with my homeopath or whatever, but like how psychologically stressful the lockdown was just for me personally, sure. being in a position uh, okay, here's a, a – and I listened, like – I remember listening to that Mike Ulsterholm guy. So, like, the day of March when we shut down the government, like, I was going around to the old people in the Capitol, like, saying, hey, it's great knowing you. Hope it works out. Because I, I thought I thought it was going to be as severe as they said. I right. thought we were going to face – A lot of people did. Yeah, I yeah. thought we were going to – because it was on the Rogan show. Sure. So yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay, this is going to be ten times worse than the average flu. A handful of you guys are going to die. So I'm just going to go around and say goodbye and just, hey, uh, hey – but then I noticed, like, a lot of the old guys, like, they didn't care. They're like, oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then they all were. But I was in that attitude. And then you get home. And, like, so being in my position of, okay, this is obviously a huge issue. People are freaking out. I'm in a position, I'm supposed to be in a position of responsibility where I can provide for people. And then I look at my cover. Like, if this was a real emergency, am I in a position to help people? Am I in my position to help myself? And the answer was, like, no that I was incredibly fragile. I'm in, just like everyone else. I'm completely dependent on the grocery store. I'm completely dependent on the gas station. I'm, you know, if, if, so I just had this huge um, realization of my own fragility 
of like, oh, wow, if this is serious, I'm screwed and I'm in a position to help nobody. So like that was me the first two or three weeks of the pandemic was like, this is really sad. I'm not nearly the man I think I am. I'm, I'm weak and I can't help anyone. I shouldn't be in this position because we really need someone to help and help people lead. And then David Icke comes out with his interview and what happened was so thankful to me is I saw my constituents um, emailing it out. And like I, one of my favorite constituents emailed it to me and CC'd the mayor and a couple city councilors. And I was like, all right, all right, good. Now we can, like, David Icke's legitimate because it's my constituents right. are sending it. This isn't me on my own. This is my <laughs> constituents sending me very information that I need to take incredibly seriously. And, and at the end of that interview, David Icke does talk about the inter-off-planet kind of element of what is truly driving this and where are these ideas coming from? Where is this technology coming from? Uh, so I've been obsessed with outer space for a while. Um, I love the Star Wars franchise. When I was a young kid, I used to fantasize about being a general in some sort of intergalactic war. Um, so, yeah, I'm all about it. And I, I do ask. I just said the aliens, I mean, the good ones are non-interventionists. And, and that's the thing is like natural law and these cycles have to play themselves out. But, yeah, I believe that at any given time there's a million or infinite angels that you can call upon at any moment to help you. Um, angels, aliens, I don't know. That might be synonymous in some context. But yeah, a lot of crazy cosmic stuff happening. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah, and that was that was one of the things that they talked about was like the aliens aren't really like out for um, like like human blood. They don't. They they're just going to use. Well, that. supposedly there's different species. Yeah, yeah. That well, I'm sure there is too. And they're know? competing too. And then yeah. even within it, this is the other thing. There's this woman, this channel type lady. Um, Ingrid, who's one of the most beautiful women I represent, she's big on this, so I have to listen to it all because I'm, you know, got to keep up with her. Um, talk about just the schism in their own society too, which is amazing to me. How when you look at the schism in society, like it almost comes down 50-50. Like I think the vaccine rate for America right now is like 52-48 or something. Like it's amazing how with this divide and conquer stuff, it's able to like schism things almost 50-50. Supposedly the alien society is the same way where like one group is like, hey, can we be less imperialistic towards this earth colony versus, oh, no, we need to harvest all the resources we can. So like that's was, I, that's why I love the yin-yang so much as a spiritual symbol as just the constant duality driving itself forth and why I can look at my, quote, enemies, whether it's the CEO of Pfizer, Dr. Fauci, Bill Gates, whoever it is, I can genuinely say I love you and, and I, I respect you and I have no ill will towards you because – my perspective of their evil, like I was saying, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in good and evil. It's just different perspective. From my subjective perspective, my subjective reality, what they're doing is evil to depopulate the planet, sterilize people, all that stuff. But it's because that they're doing that gives me the impetus to be a better person. Sure. So that evil is driving me forth. So the darkness is driving the light, which drives the darkness, which drives the light. So that's why when you view this unified whole, that... I have to thank these people because they're giving my life purpose and meaning and they're giving me a reason to improve myself and to study the law and to help others. So I have to, I can genuinely be thankful for them. And, and, and that seems to be just this kind of cosmic wave of life that's cosmic coming. I mean, that's the grand mystery. And that's why my favorite Alex Jones quote, I forget when he said this, but he was like, God doesn't even know why he's here, like type of thing. Like just the mystery being mysteries on mysteries on mysteries and mysteries. And like the Shakespeare quote, there's more to heaven and earth than is dreamt of in your philosophy. Like that's really true. And I love that and I live that. And that's why I want to adopt as much humility as possible. And why like Gandhi would say like, I, 
I'm the dust on the road. I'm beneath the dust on the road. I'm crushed by your foot and I'm crushed on the dust that like he just he would just go to great extents to just eviscerate his ego and adopt as much humility as possible because you are just one twinkle in the sky in this grand cosmic experiment bearing witness to this whimsical moment of time. And that's it's just so crazy. Everything happened. It all happens in the present moment. It's completely insane. It blows my mind thinking about it. It is, and I, I think that's a good place to end, Jeff. That was a uh, that was very poetic at the end there. Oh, right? thanks, man. I liked okay. it a lot. I good. liked it a lot. But can you listen? We're gonna go into the exclusive. Yeah, uh, that's what video. I want. These. I don't want these freeloaders. I want the people <laughs> paying money. <laughs> We're gonna go to the exclusive. That's where we could talk about the look. The whole last half of that was definitely. It would be viewed as controversial. We're going to get more. Yeah, by your stupid. For me, it's mainstream stuff. This is what the people are ready for. We're going to get more controversial here in a minute. But why don't you tell all these wonderful people that are watching or are going to see this when it, you know, at the replay, how they can support you, where they can find you, what they can do. So uh, Jeff Shipley, uh, Jeff Shipley, uh, 77 on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Peace Love Iowa. For those of you who are still on Facebook, um, I view that as a personality defect, perhaps, that I haven't been banned yet. But I think they just haven't banned me because I am an elected leader, um, which I guess means that I am better than you in some ways. No, I'm just kidding. No, they're the haves and haves nots. I'm sorry. That was terrible. We're, we should all be censored together. Uh, Facebook.com slash PeaceLoveIowa. Uh, PeaceLoveIowa.com is a great website for me. So hit me up on Facebook. Come to our website. You can put a donate link on there. Um, we have some petitions. I have a whole list of newsletters. So if you want to read something I wrote eight months ago, you can find that on my website. And uh, just stay in touch. We'd love to get acquainted with you. Um, genuine human connection. This is this is our currency. The, the connection, the experience, the love that we share as human beings, that's what's more valuable than Bitcoin, I would argue. So that's what's going to get us through these times. Thanks but, for having but, me. But Bitcoin is a second, a second closest. Depends on the day. Depends on your subjective theory of value. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, I might start doing shows further back like this. This has been really comfortable. Usually, I'm all up here. Like, yeah, you're intense. You got to get you. You got to yell like, at your people. I like this, man. This is nice. I, it's it's nice. You guys, let us know in the comments of the show and the replay uh, whether or not you think that the uh, the the guest in the studio is better or not. Well, I think it's, it's obviously, I think it's way better. I think yeah. you get a better, warmer dynamic because we're human beings sitting next to each other. I think everyone should donate um, as much money as they can, at least a month's salary, uh, to make sure we get to the best studio that we can. Not Because it's going to serve not just this audience, but the entire state of Iowa is what we're trying to do here. So we need your support. We need your financial support. If you're one of the guys that can... Uh, you know, shell off a few shekels, a couple half a Bitcoin or whatever. Um, throw that in there. I, I know this guy's going to put it to good use. So he'll probably take over the Libertarian Party or something with your support. We're already taking over the Libertarian. That was a joke. It was, it was trying to be a yeah, joke. absolutely. And if you guys want to support the show, you know you can join under any of the uh, videos with the join link. That'll that'll uh, make you a member of the channel. You get the custom hand-drawn emojis and, and uh, custom badges that are changing every... Priceless. Uh, yeah, priceless. Priceless pieces of art. Yeah, by Top Lobster himself. I see Drywall O's already got the uh, light blue... Uh, uh, BTC badge, which means he's already been a member for more than a month. Wow. No longer purple. He's doing big things. Thank you so much for that. What a stud. Yeah. Or you can join the Patreon or subscribe star uh, at backslash. Uh, it's just slash. I always, Everyone says backslash, but it's not a backslash. I don't know how computers work. Forward slash, I think. Uh, I'm against computers. <laughs> <laughs> Cal calm down, Ted. <laughs> uh, break the cycle, JS. 
at Patreon or Subscribestar. Uh, you guys can become members. You get all kinds of cool swag there. All three of those options will get you into the the private Discord server you, where you get. You got to give this guy a lot. He's got a he's got a real hot wife, and he's got to keep her real <laughs> and, happy. And a lot of kids. And she oh. loves money. <laughs> she actually she doesn't care about I know, it. At all. She loves freedom though. <laughs> she likes freedom way more. She's got expensive tastes. She <laughs> wants organic cucumbers and more kids. She wants more kids. Very expensive. God and she, yeah. help me. God help me. Uh, but anyway, check out the sponsors too. Lorenzotti.coffee. For all your delicious Italian coffee needs, delivered directly to your door. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, toplobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend. He's a, he, just still in there somewhere. Uh, definitely check him out for all this wonderful graphics. Uh, use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount or join any of the paywalls to get it at a 30% discount. Uh, and, of course, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com. They rule. Check them out. See what they can do for your home life, business, or personal life. Uh, thank you, Drywall, for the other uh, super chat. We appreciate you. Guys, tomorrow on the show, I'm going to have the great Ryan Dawson on. It's going to be wild. Hopefully, he won't get me completely banned off YouTube, but it's going to be a good time no matter what. Yeah, YouTube, thank you. I just want to just say to YouTube real quick, we're just so thankful for your services to be able to speak to millions of people at once. And we're just so thankful for all the infrastructure you guys laid down and the investments in your equipment. To, and we just we just want to speak to the people and we want to use you as a public square. So if what we say upsets you, please just let us say it and not make too much of be too much of a bitch about the whole thing. That's a that's a good that's a good point. Thank you, YouTube. Thank you so much, Rep Shipley. We appreciate you, <laughs> uh, guys. I will see you tomorrow for the show with Ryan Dawson. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Break the cycle, people. To explain the lyrics of my last song, they seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse and the frame. But I just spent it in Minecraft. The helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do. So, any violence you commit, I am not an excuse because I just spent it in Minecraft. But Tripper is my friend and he's constantly cold. Accusations of incitement getting totally old. Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just meant it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There's nothing on me